Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it easy to create your own website. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use our offer code SMART7. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hey, everyone out there with us in your ears. This is Smart People Podcast. I am Chris Stemp. And I'm John Rojas. I hope you guys are ready to listen to some awesome advice. Our guest today gets paid a lot of money to go in and speak with corporations, big business. He puts on seminars. He's a leader in his field, which most are, but he really, you can tell just from the way he speaks, he's got a great message. Today, we are going to speak with Tony Schwartz, and you might have heard of Tony Schwartz. You, you might have heard of you know his, his book recently, Be Excellent at Anything, The Four Keys to Transforming the Way We Work and Live which is a New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestseller. He also is the CEO and president of The Energy Project, which again, I had heard of because I kind of like this whole idea of turning the workspace into an environment of collaboration and energy, passion, And I love the thought of the idea because where I work, we don't necessarily have that. And I just want to move towards that. You live in a dungeon. I want to be there. I do work at a dungeon. It's the grossest place I've ever been. Tell them how often a janitor comes to your work. Never. You literally don't don't have a janitor. Because we had this great thing called sequestration. And one of the first things they cut was janitorial services. I don't want to get political. Why why wouldn't we do that? Because you're going to suck the energy out of the energy project. But anyway, so it is really cool. Tony talks about how we're in a new world, right? Humans aren't meant to be computers. It's not just run them faster, harder, longer, better batteries. We have to recharge. You you have to do it. And you will be more productive by focusing on one thing and taking a break, not trying to multitask. 
how to energize yourself based on what you do, your environment. A lot of great tips about things we all struggle with. I hit the wall at two o'clock and barely recover, you know, after lunch. So we talk about that. He really does focus on the fact that work still kind of revolves around that whole industrial era time frame. And we're not like that anymore. We're not meant to be machines. Exactly. So we're going to turn it over to Tony here momentarily. But before that, check out this week's sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Guys, this is hands down the best platform to use when making a website. It couldn't be more easy. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code SMART7 when you're checking out. Yeah, and make sure you type in SMART7 when you go check out. It's the only way they know you heard about them here at our show. And I know, John, you've been building actually somebody's blog, one of our friends who is technologically inept like me, but it was the first time you really dug into Squarespace and it was easy, right? Oh, it's super easy. Everything's drag and drop. I don't have to worry about coding. It's super simple. You know, I actually ran into a problem the other night and it was around 9 p.m. I fired off an email to Squarespace. They sent me an answer within like 20 minutes. It was amazing. I got everything up and running like I needed to. It was perfect. Yeah, I know they have 24-7 support and it's cheap. It starts at just $8 a month and that includes a domain name. So you don't have to worry about registering anywhere else. I love the fact that they take care of the SEO. So they help optimize your site for search engines and get you on top of Google, which anybody out there wants. You all know you've been wanting to create a website for a while. That blog, that business, which by the way, Squarespace recently added e-commerce to their platform. So it's really easy to just set up shop and sell things. You can do it in just a few minutes. Great design. As John said, drag and drop. Even people like me, I'm telling you, can use Squarespace for their websites. Yeah, you really don't have to worry about anything. You want your site to fit on mobile devices, tablets, phones, whatever it may be. Squarespace takes care of that for you. So as we mentioned earlier, you can try Squarespace for free. No credit card required. While you're checking out, make sure you use the offer code SMART7 to save 10%. SMART7, that's the only way, guys. Yeah, guys, and don't forget, I mean, these sponsors are really helping the show grow, expand, new equipment coming on board. We're going to do some some cool marketing things to try and make more people aware of Smart People Podcast for the simple message of getting this stuff out there. These are great people giving their advice and time for free. We need to sustain this. Please listen to the sponsorship things. If it's something that really grabs you, have at it. So head over to smartpeoplepodcast.com. You can read our posts. Sign up for the newsletter. We have great information coming out. And really, if you could subscribe on iTunes and just make sure it's a weekly thing, man, we're all on this thing together. Enjoy this week's episode with Tony Schwartz. Thanks so much for being on the show. Really appreciate talking to you. And I love your work. I love what you do. Would you say that the majority of your focus is just on getting people to perform to the best of their capabilities and what their, you know, the amount of hours we're given in a day? No. <laughs> Perfect. I wouldn't say that that's uh, all we're about. I would say that's the stalking horse for what we're about because performing better is something that organizations are eager to have their people do. We, we do most of our work with large organizations of all kinds. And as a business, if we can deliver 
the promise of greater performance than they're willing to bring us in, or at least more willing to bring us in. But you know what? What we're really about at the Energy Project is evolution, um, human evolution. It's really about the idea of getting people to make the kind of leap that they need to in a world that is changing and becoming more complex and more difficult and harder to navigate in every moment. And we really believe that, as Einstein put it, um, you can't solve the problems of the world at the level at which they were created. And that the paradigm for understanding how to operate effectively in the world simply won't cut it anymore. That's a so great, we that's really a great have way. a bigger mission than just making people more productive, although we're delighted to do that. No, that's a great way to put it. And obviously, you said it much better than I did, so I'll leave the, you know, the answers up to you. And so given all of the distractions, I mean, that's one of the things that I struggle with. I feel like I can't multitask. And we, we were talking to a guest uh, last week that said there's no such thing as multitasking. You have to focus on one thing. What's the kind of science say behind that? Well, it, it's certainly not true that you have to focus on one thing. We know that people attention moves from one thing to another incredibly rapidly. Technically, it isn't possible to multitask because the brain isn't capable of doing two cognitive tasks at the same time. And so what it resorts to is switching between those tasks. And it happens that switch so quickly that you don't necessarily recognize that what you're doing is switching. But in fact, what's happening is that if I'm talking to you right now and I were also trying to check my email, as we know many people are doing all the time, while I'm actually checking my email, even if it's only for a moment glancing over at it, I would be unable to hear what you're saying to me. And so what happens is you get an impact that's called switching time, which is a period of time that it takes to withdraw your attention from one thing and put it to another thing. And the result is that doing that kind of, in effect, juggling of tasks, A, makes you slower. In other words, doing one thing at a time sequentially is way, way, way faster than doing many things moving constantly between them. And then the second thing is that you also bring better attention to things when you're focusing singularly on them. And so the likelihood is that you'll remember more, you'll think better. So, for example, go back to that email that I was pretending or imagining that I might be answering while talking to you. So I'm answering that email and you're talking to me and I can't actually hear during that fraction of a second when I'm checking what you said. So what I do, what the brain does is it fills in. It imagines what you said. It's, it gets what people love to call the gist of it. So I'll often have people in businesses saying to me, you know, I'm on a conference call and I get the gist of what people are saying. I don't have to listen to every second. And my answer to them is, how would you know? <laughs> Maybe while you weren't listening, you missed the absolute essential element. You have no way of knowing. So doing one thing at a time may be one of the hardest things in the world. It always has been. The contemplative traditions were built around training attention. They all have that in common. And it's more difficult now than ever, but it's more valuable, it's more differentiating, it's a greater competitive advantage if you can do it. When you go into a company, 
and you are talking to them about this type of getting their employees to perform it at a higher level and kind of get, you know, get their energy on board and everything. How do they usually respond? Are they like, wow, this sounds great? Or are they hesitant because you're often going against what modern corporations, the way they have acted for a long time? Yeah, at least 200 years since the Industrial Revolution, the, the, the mantra of free market capitalism has been more, bigger, faster is better. And our message is that it's not about the time you invest in things. It's about the energy you're able to give for whatever time you choose to invest. And so this is a really different paradigm we're asking organizations to accept. We're saying, essentially, energy is the same as capacity. In physics, energy is the capacity to do work. Capacity is the fuel in your tank. It's what allows you to bring your skill and talent to life. You can't run on empty. So if you go around trying to run on empty, what happens is you eventually hit bankruptcy. You eventually hit burnout. And the reality is that so many people are pushing the envelope in that direction that the organizations are starting to recognize something that even as few as two or three years ago, they didn't begin to understand. Today, what we're finding is organizations that are very traditional, chemical companies, leveraged buyout companies and banks, you know, big manufacturing companies, the kinds of folks who wouldn't talk to us at all two and three years ago are now calling us for help because most of the solutions that people are finding or people are suggesting remain stuck in that time paradigm. So when you have finite hours and you have too many demands, trying to fool around with those hours, something we all know as time management, is akin to you know, rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. It's not going to do much. The boat's going down, and unless you figure out a way to plug that leak, moving those chairs around isn't going to help you much. You struck such a chord with me, because this is, I come from the world of consulting, specifically government consulting, and it was only two, three years ago that I hit that burnout point and said, I got to take a leave of absence for six months and just drive cross country. That's how Chris and I started this podcast. It blows my mind to see year after year, I see kids putting in 45, 50 plus hours to their consulting job. And year after year, I see guys leaving. I see ladies leaving. I see everybody leaving these jobs. And I just look at them like, how is this the most effective way for this organization to be run, to just let this attrition happen and let these people leave as they're getting burnt out and kind of fed up with the whole system. I'm basically looking to you to see how organizations are going to finally realize that this paradigm needs to change. Well, you know, you only change when the pain gets greater than the pain of continuing to be the way you are. I wish that people changed for honorable, noble, you know, value-based <laughs> reasons, but very rarely does that happen. And so, you know, in some sense, the, the bad news and the good news is that the pain has gotten so great for a lot of organizations. And, you know, the brain, you know, a lot of this resides in what's going on inside us, John. 
what's going on inside us as in our physiology, our neurochemistry, you know, even our psychology or, you know, our emotions, what's going on emotionally. And that arena for organizations, the interior life has been terra incognita. You know, it's a vast unexplored territory and it's a, it's a, it's an equally vast potential competitive advantage to understand it better. So for example, to this whole notion of having organizations that push people to these very, very crazy levels of intensity only to see them leave a year later or two years later and then have to replace them at enormous cost and lose all the advantage of the experience they've built up. Why does that happen? And the answer is neurochemical, oddly enough, or, or brain-based, and that is that the prefrontal cortex as we as it's been developed to today, to this point, is not primarily focused, and God knows the lower portions of the brain are not primarily focused on anything but now, this moment, and the immediate future. We don't look out into the future with equal attention and capacity. So we get focused on what's going to make us be feel okay or be okay or perform okay in this moment, no matter what the consequences are for the future. And you can get an organization as a whole to adopt that as a culture, and thousands and thousands of them have. So what we're really looking at, you know, as I've come to understand this better, because in the early years when we did this work, we were all about training people in a series of techniques and strategies to use their energy more skillfully. But you know what? What would happen is that they get really excited about it. They recognize somewhere intuitively that it made sense. They'd go back into their organizations. The organizations would resist them. And even when they were highly motivated, they'd often run out of you know, resolve. And what we came to realize was that there's a more, there's a deeper level that we need to address this either simultaneously with addressing behavior itself or before addressing behavior itself. And that is consciousness or mindset. So what is consciousness if you don't want to use a word that's going to antagonize businesses? It means to be conscious of more. And what does that mean? Well, it means that in order to solve the problems we're facing, we have to be able to look more deeply inside ourselves because there's so much about understanding the things I earlier referred to, physiology, neurochemistry, and so on, that can be helpful to us. So we have to look more deeply. We have to look more widely. In other words, we have to recognize that we're interdependent now to a degree we've never been interdependent. And so what I do affects you. And if we are not in some kind of community, if we don't recognize that our success depends on the people around us as much as it does on ourselves, we're lost in this world and we don't fully recognize that. And then finally, we need the ability to look out further. So deeper, wider, longer. And the longer is a longer view about what it is, it's kind of the cost benefit ratio of any given choice that you make. So if it gives you benefits in the short term, but it has enormous costs in the long term, 
it pays you to be equally aware of both and make a conscious decision. And then the final thought about all of this is what it implies, John and Chris, is that you need to be conscious, to be intentional, to be purposeful in every moment in ways that simply were not required when the demands on us were so many fewer. I love the word purposeful, and doing purposeful work is the most fulfilling work. So if you recognize that the work that you're doing is not purposeful, what do you do in that situation? I mean, is it, are you in the wrong line of work? Are you doing the wrong tasks while at work? I mean, that's a, that's a hard thing for even myself to wrestle with is yeah. there, there are times when I'm, when I'm sitting there and I was like, what is the point of all this? What am I doing right now? And that type of thing. How do I find a way to energize for those tasks or that work that's not necessarily the greatest work, but could lead me towards more purposeful f- work in the future? Well, you've asked one question, which assumes, you know, even already uh, assumes a, a potential benefit in the future. There are millions and millions of people doing work, as you know, that has no hope. That's, sure. you know, purely dead end. I mean, you know, how many people are working for, you know, $8 or $10 or $12 an hour on a factory line or in a, you know, in some retail establishment or at a fast food restaurant thinking to themselves, there's no hope going forward. And, you know, this is a place, guys, where I I really find this is a a, a subtle, nuanced place where anybody who comes up with a really simple answer to the question you just asked (laughs) is full of shit. Um, (laughs) You know, the this you've asked what is probably the most important and fundamental question that a human being can ask him or herself in the course of your lifetime, in the course of their lifetime. So what I believe is that you're absolutely right that a deep sense of purpose, for that matter, even a moderate sense of purpose, (laughs) um, is an incredible fuel. It makes you feel better. It makes you perform better. It makes you treat other people better. You know, it's a fantastic thing. I was a journalist for 25 years, and... By traditional measures, I had a lot of success at it, but I never felt that what I was doing gave me a sense of purpose day in and day out. And then I started doing this work about 15 years ago, and honest to God, I have not woken up more than a handful of days over the last 15 years where I wasn't excited to get to work. What an unbelievable advantage that is. So what is purpose? Where do you get purpose from? You get purpose from adding more value in the world, from the experience that you're adding more value in the world than you're using up, that you are serving something bigger than just your own immediate self-interest. Without that, it's very hard to find purpose. And it also turns out that for you to be fully fueled around your purpose, you have to like what it is you're doing that has meaning. So if you think something is really meaningful, but you hate doing it, that's not very good either. So those are two high bars to have to reach in order to, and by the way, I didn't even mention, make a living. Yeah. yeah. So, so you've got to do all three of those things. 
So when you asked that question earlier, you know, if you realize that you're not getting a sense of purpose from your job, should you quit? My answer is not immediately, you know, unless you have an incredibly clear idea of what you ought to be doing and a path to doing it. What I think you start doing is you start getting more conscious. In other words, you start asking yourself the question, not what do, how do I get away from what's making me unhappy, but what is it instead that actually makes me happy? Or to be more specific, what makes me feel fully alive? Because when you can get the answer to that question, when you can think back and ask yourself, okay, over the last 30 days, what's a moment when I felt fully alive? Then you're beginning to get a hint of what your particular unique way of or unique connection is to what might be purposeful for you. So to me, you know, you can get purpose from doing all kinds of external things. You know, if you work for Teach for America or you feed starving kids or you're a nurse in an intensive care unit in a hospital, the external environment is giving you a fair amount of purpose, isn't it? Yeah. But most of us don't have those kinds of jobs. So what about those of us who don't have those kind of jobs? Well, then the question is, what could you be doing internally? What could you be doing in the environment you're part of, whatever it is, that would make you feel like you were using your talent or your skill to add value? And I'm going to give you a really good example, I think, of a way that I found to do it. Now, I already told you that I get a great deal of sense of purpose from the fact that I do believe that, you know, having a conversation like this with you guys, which you'll send out to thousands of people with, you know, very simple but clear advice and strategies on how to make things better makes me feel I'm adding value. So that's intrinsically giving me or extrinsically giving me a high sense of purpose. But you know, I noticed after doing this for a number of years that there was a little bit of a breakdown for me. And the breakdown was, I wasn't breaking down, but there was a breakdown <laughs> in the logic. And the breakdown was that I sometimes felt that the strategies we were teaching to other people were not ones that we were fully embodying ourselves. We were great at explaining it, but we weren't as great at living it. And so I decided that I would take a lot of my attention, even though we were in a very rapid growth phase, and I would take it from outside to clients and the world and bring it inside to this little team of, you know, what is now 30 people. And that I would make as I would invest as much effort in building a community, what I'll call a community of practice or a living laboratory of the ways of, of investing in what's necessary for people to have the kind of experience that we're out there telling people in the world they should have. And I've put an enormous amount of effort, and now others in our group have, into aligning our behaviors with the principles we teach. And I have to tell you that I'm not, no longer sure whether I get more satisfaction from the experience of what this little tiny community is like or more satisfaction from working with thousands of people at Google every year 
which on its face sounds like the sexier thing to do. <laughs> and it's good. It's great. I love that. But I'm not sure that anybody couldn't find some version of what I've found in any kind of company, which is essentially saying, how do I bring more of myself to making the lives of the people I'm with here better than they were? Hmm. And that's pretty powerful. And I believe that you, have you guys had the experience of like, you're at an airport and you're used to those TSA guys being assholes. <laughs> and all of a sudden, one day you walk up and there's a TSA, a woman TSA worker who's got a big smile on her face and says hello to you and genuinely seems interested in how you're doing. Absolutely. It's amazing. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. What is that? <laughs> or, you know, or, you know, that one out of 50 at the Department of Motor Vehicles or the, you know, the sanitation workers picking up your garbage and still has time to say hello to you. What I think that is, is that those people, without having probably ever thought about it consciously, have kind of naturally selected into some way of being that makes them feel better about themselves and better about their lives. And they get that not from the work they do that's their job, but from the way they are in the world. Mm -hmm. So that's a great starting place. In fact, I've come to believe it's a necessary starting place. So you don't want some person who's telling you a bunch of things about how to make your life better, who lives a life that's in complete contradiction to that. Exactly. And that's such a good point. And you know, as I was kind of looking through what you talk about and, and, and what your message is, one of the things that I just focused in on was you said in one of your speeches, we demonize the renewal of energy. And the reason I love that, and you talk about needing to renew energy, being a part of being human, is because I oftentimes, I, I get tired more than most during the day, especially if I'm working hard or intense. But with almost every job, you can't just go grab a nap, you know, or a couch or something. And so I was hoping you could talk on that idea of how to renew your energy, you know, both in your life, on the job, to make yourself more successful and more energetic. Yeah, fair question. Very much at the heart of the work we do. That's the, one of the two or three core paradigm shifts from, you know, spending more energy uh, as the measure of your success and value to spending energy more skillfully so that what you do is create more value in less time. So the shift is from a focus on the hours you put in to the value you create. So, you know, listen, when an organization understands this, it's one set of things that happen. By the way, among them, much higher performance, much greater sense of uh, uh, sustainability, much, much more likelihood that people who are working there will stay there. But most of the people listening to this podcast are not running companies. Most of them are out there in the working world trying to figure out how to get by with a lot of pressure on them. So the first thing I'd say is that we need to redefine what sort of the opposite of what you read that I said we need to redefine the, me the meaning of the word renewal. Because right now, renewal, recovery, recharging, resting, those are all words used and associated with slackers. Those are, you know, screw-ups. Exactly. And what we learned in our work, which began with professional athletes, 
is that professional athletes who are measured only by one thing, whether they win or lose, what, what they do, right? There's no subtlety about it. Professional athletes, when they're successful, are geniuses at managing what we call work-rest ratios. That means that they invest as much attention on the recovery and renewal of their energy as they do on the expenditure of energy. Because what they recognize is that we're designed as human beings. I don't know that they recognize this cognitively, intellectually, but they feel it, is that we're designed as human beings to move rhythmically between spending and recovering energy. And every system in the body works best when you're in that movement, that rhythmic movement between spending and recovering. And what athletes come to do is they come to value the role that renewal plays in performance. And that's the shift that we have to start with. We have to ennoble the role of renewal. So for you, what I need to do is give you, who said that, John or Chris? It was Chris. So Chris, what we have to do for you as somebody who gets tired, and by the way, I suspect you don't get more tired than most people. I don't think <laughs> that's going to turn out to be true. I think what probably happens is you focus more intensely and use up more glucose in your brain, so you're naturally tired, in which case your body is screaming at you, give me a break. But most of us override that message from our bodies with coffee and sugar yes, and yes. You know, with our own adrenaline and, and cortisol and noradrenaline, you know, our body's natural speed. And so... What, we, what you need to do first, and, and, and anybody like you, and there are millions like you, is you need to get comfortable with the idea that you're doing yourself a favor when you rest. You're not slacking. You're not falling behind. What you're doing is you're refueling the system so you're capable of bringing your best effort to whatever it is you're going to do for a limited period of time in which you get a lot done, and then repeating the cycle. So how do you do that? Well... The answer is different for every person. There's two kinds of renewal. There's passive renewal and there's active renewal. Passive renewal is taking a nap, uh, doing meditation or breathing, listening to music. Active renewal is taking a walk or taking a run or doing a strenuous form of yoga. Both sides of that equation are equally valuable depending on you know, your particular personality and what you've got in the system in terms of energy already for generating renewal. And the first thing you always have to renew in a situation where you feel depleted is your physical energy. But it's not the only kind of energy that a human being has, is it? I mean, you can run a car on gas, but you can't run a human being effectively just by having that human being have enough physical energy. You also need the right kind of emotional energy. You need the capacity mentally to focus in an absorbed way. And spiritually, as we were talking about, you need the power or the energy of purpose. So you need four sources of energy. And one of the challenges as you get to understand and recognize yourself as an energy being is to get discerning about where you're running short. Like, for example, right now I have really high spiritual energy. I'm into it. You can feel that. Oh, yeah. You guys are into it. But you know what? It's 730 at night <laughs> where I am. And I'm tired physically. Now, the reality is I can use my purpose source of energy, my reservoir of spiritual energy 
to stay with you guys and you know do be engaged in this process we're doing up to a point if you use one source of energy overly overly use one source of energy at some point the absence of other sources of energy is going to catch up with you hmm. so for social workers and and teachers that shows up very often as something called compassion fatigue where they're relying overly relying on the energy that they get derived from their sense of meaning and purpose but not sufficiently taking care of themselves physically and emotionally and therefore running down their systems and at a certain point for all the intrinsic compassion they have and the excitement about the work they do there's just nothing left in the tank so we need to we need to be you know in this process of renewing we need to become really aware of where we're running short and it always starts at the physical level it's always starting at the physical or i shouldn't say it's always starting at the physical level. what i should say is you always want to look there first because if your physical energy is insufficient it's going to drag down every other source of energy it's like if you don't sleep you can be the most positive focused purposeful human being in the world and you'll operate no better than somebody who has none of those qualities that's so true too and that's i mean gosh sleep is the number one importance and like you said i know i know you're a little tired it's been a long weekend Tony, this stuff is incredible. I mean, I know it's going to resonate with everybody that listens to the show. I love it. I couldn't wait to have you on. Your book, Be Excellent at Anything, The Four Keys to Transforming the Way We Work and Live, goes you know much more in depth on all this. And it's just, as a person in society today and the grind of most jobs, we need to know this stuff. I appreciate you explaining to companies that, you know, us peons, if you will, kind of need to rest every once in a while. Is there anywhere else that you kind of update regularly your website that, that people can find out more about what you're doing and, and kind of the things that they can learn from you? Yeah, two places. So yes, our website, theenergyproject.com. We have a ton of material on there. It's free. You, among other things, can take the energy audit and it gives you a really quick and pretty powerful sense of how well you're managing your energy across those four dimensions I just mentioned. So that's one. The second one is that when you're on the website, you, can, you, you will see that there's a section for our uh, webinars, which are public webinars. Again, no cost. Uh, we do them really as a service, and they're once a month. And we take on one subject a month, and I think people love them. So for sure that. And then the third is that I write a weekly uh, column in the New York Times uh, that just began about six weeks ago. And you can find it on Fridays in the business section online called Deal Book. You can also get it by just calling up my name, you know, in the search box. But, but if you go to Deal Book on Fridays, or actually we run that, web, that blog as well on our website, so you don't even need to go to the New York Times now that I think of it, okay. uh, though they'd appreciate it. Um, <laughs> So uh, those are three really good ways, and they don't cost anything, and they're you know they're they're full of full of uh, full of information. Yeah, I've I've been on the Energy Project website again. It's theenergyproject.com all day, and you really do have some fantastic information. I appreciate it, and thanks so much for being on the show. This is just great information, and uh, we know that people will kind of walk away from this one thinking a little bit differently about their their daily activities. Super. Thanks, guys. Have a good evening. All right. Thanks, Tony. 
Hope you guys got a lot out of that interview with Tony. I'm going to keep this one short because my nose is bothering me. Oh, yeah, I got Roach smashed broke in the his nose. face with a hockey stick at my game last night. And now I can kind of tell that I'm talking nasally. So go on with... You sound like the man version of Fran Drescher. Yeah, it's terrible. So, guys, again, thanks for being out. I will tell you that next week's episode on Sunday is one of my favorite. So make sure you subscribe so you don't forget to download it. Get it right away. There's a button at smartpeoplepodcast.com that will bring you to subscription or just go to iTunes, hit subscribe, leave us a rating. We appreciate it always. Great guests to come, especially next week. Hope you enjoyed, Tony. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.